and welcome back to What is Qualitative Anyway? My name is Vicki. So today we are in our Qualitative Research Methods Chapter 7 book, uh, Participatory Action Research. Um, it's about affecting change. So it's stated that Kurt Lewin is uh, mostly credited for co coining the term action research. Um, it's popular among like classroom, teaching practices, and education. Uh, According to Lewin, action research is a process that gives credence to the development of powers of reflective thought, discussion, decision, and action by ordinary people participating in collective research on private troubles that they have in common. And it mentions that there's few research approaches that take that angle of participation of the researchers and the stakeholders, which are the people that have uh, the greatest uh, stake in whatever social change you're trying to create there. Um, so it's one of the few researchers that kind of incorporate bo both of them and empower them um, you know, to create a better condition in that society, that situation. Uh, it kind of reiterates that in the beginning of the book as far as it being a collective effort um, to empower people. It draws on um, gaining knowledge, you know, for both the researchers and the stakeholders. Um, it says an ecological stance, you know, for society and nature to improve all of that um, while the participants are reflecting and learning and changing as they learn that knowledge and you know a commitment to positive social social change all of that sounds just very inspiring in itself and the theory that I'm already thinking of in regards to this is structural functionism uh, it is more of a macro level approach but I think that is the end goal of participatory action research is affecting some kind of change that requires larger structures to reflect on what they're doing, what they can do to create, to help create that change. So it's like society and all the different parts working together, both the researchers, the stakeholders, and then incorporating the larger structures that, you know, cause some kind of dysfunction and consequences in the society. They're all eventually end goal, I would think, of this type of research is to all work together to form some kind of good out of the bad. And then from here, the chapter moves on to the basics of research. It mentions looking, thinking, and action. So looking would be pretty looking, pretty self-explanatory. Assessing the situation, you want to take into account uh, what is the issue, gathering the information, considering the stakeholders and their interests, and also consider what they've been doing. It's a collective process. And then thinking, think about what the issue is, what is, you know, what case are you looking at, analyze the information, interpret the situation as it is, and then also reflect with the participants, you know, what issues are they seeing, what troubles may you confront along the process, what have they been doing, and then from there it moves on to action, which is what it is, taking action, what are you going to do to improve the situation, improve the lives of the participants, working with the participants, the stakeholders, what is the action, what is the outcome that you're looking for, and how do you put that plan into action. 
Uh, from here, it moves on to the next section, identifying the research questions. Here, you're going to create questions. You know, what is it that you're trying to improve so that way you can put that plan of action into play? Uh, and once again, incorporate your stakeholders. You don't want to make it just something that you think is beneficial because you're not in that community. If you're not going to stay there and live there, you need to consider them. Um, so I mentioned focus groups is one way, you know, to kind of brainstorm that process. And then data collection. This is how are you going to collect that data? You know, it's part of, if you're doing this type of research, you're part of, you're using the community, you know, the stakeholders, and it kind of depends on what they're willing to give as well. Uh, so you have to kind of take into account how are you going to gather that information. Uh, and the book mentions maybe using uh, triangulate your studies so that way it can enrich and the evaluation analysis and the understandings so that's definitely one way to do it you know using multiple avenues to create that larger picture with analyzing and interpreting the information once again you're going to include the stakeholders and one of the basic things that you can do to kind of figure out how you're going to analyze it is just asking you know the what why how type questions why uh, are you know are we doing this remind everyone of the purpose of the study other questions what how who where and when enable participants to identify associated influences so it helps them to kind of look um, almost sociologically you know what is it that is affecting us what institutions what policies looking at those different areas helps them look at it more um, I guess almost with their sociological imagination you're trying to give them that knowledge so they can know what areas it is that they need to fix and empowering them to be able to go do that even after you leave after that you want to remember to share the results with your participants they're invested in this you know it's their life their community it's something that is going to enrich their lives if they're able to see it through and complete the process. So by giving them the information, sharing the results, the process, the data, it can further enhance their knowledge so that way when they recognize other issues, they know the process to take to fix those issues. Without that knowledge that comes from the research, the results, the data, it's hard for them to continue to incorporate in that life, incorporate it in their life, and so you want to share that information, um, so it kind of just coalesces in the community and creates that, I guess, more of a bond where those issues are recognized and they know that they can go out there and possibly fight them. And from here it mentions when to use and when not to use uh, the research, uh, the action researcher's role. I won't be using this in my um, research that I'll be doing for this semester, so I won't go into too much detail on that. Um, but types of action research, I think, are important to kind of look over. So it mentions technical scientific collaborative mode, which kind of explains itself. It's more technical and scientific, might be a little more difficult. A practical mutual collaborative, once again, a little bit uh, self-explanatory. It's a mutual effort, collaborative. You're both agreeing um, before you're proceeding, pretty much. And then emancipating or empowering, enhancing, and then critical science mode, which is the most important. 
this type of research promotes emancipatory praxis in the participating practitioners. That is, it promotes a critical consciousness which exhibits itself in political as well as practical action to promote change. So by helping them gain knowledge, teaching them, um, showing them how to use theory and knowledge to put together to learn what the issues are, helps them create like a collective consciousness where they're aware uh, more of what is going on in the community, how to create that theory, that question of what is the problem, and then using their knowledge to go forth and, you know, take action on it. Uh, I love how the book explained that. It explains theory, enlightenment, and action. So you figure out the theory, you figure out the problem, what is the issue, you enlighten yourself, you give yourself some knowledge, you, you work on it, you you focus on the data, you gather your information, and then you take action. And I love that process. I love that research. Uh, I would love to one day hopefully go into that um, type of research. There's different theories, you know, that you can use with that. Uh, I think of Michelle Foucault, actually. I, I've learned a lot about him recently, and as far as, like, power and knowledge, how, you know, if, if these people aren't given the knowledge you know, they don't feel that they have the power and power and knowledge go together. A lot of what we're taught comes from power and just this homogenous, just learning that we're all taught. And then I realized once I got to college, I'm like, well, you know, uh, the Alamo wasn't just about people fighting for the Alamo. You know, there's a deeper reason why that happened. You know, there's a longer discourse to why we fought the Alamo. So it's just one of those things that I think of, you know, the stories that were told, it's just that one narrative. So if you give people power to know the knowledge, then they're using that power to, um, you know, lift up their community, but they don't have access to it. So people like us can help. We can use the knowledge that we've learned to give them some of the power back that they have that they didn't know they had. Um, so I love that part of the chapter. I really kind of just really took that part all in. Kind of brings us to the end, why it works. I think we can kind of just on our own reflect why it could work. I mean, you are helping create change. You're helping people evolve and learn and gain their own power and knowledge that they can use to help influence their community in a good way. And then there's the part why it fails. I mean, you are working with the community. Some people may have their own agenda, their own way that they want things, or maybe they don't want change. Um, so working with other people in the community that maybe aren't as familiar with the larger structures that are maybe, you know, quotation mark, oppressing them, um, they don't really want to deal with it. So um, those could be reasons. But yeah, I think that sums up the chapter. Thanks for listening.